Apple, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, NVIDIA, Tesla, and Facebook. Seven technology giants that have delivered amazing, if not magnificent, returns for investors in 2023. So let's take a closer look at this group of stocks dubbed the Magnificent Seven, all on today's episode of the Stocks and Savings Podcast. Hi, we're Andrea and Jamie, two millennial investors and chartered accountants that are here to help you become more confident about the world of investing and finance. We want to give a disclaimer that we are not financial advisors. Nothing in this podcast should be treated as financial advice. This is for educational purposes only. When investing, your capital is at risk and the value of your investments may rise and fall. We'd like to thank our season sponsor, Trading212, for helping us to bring you this podcast. Trading212 is an investing platform which aims to democratize investing, and it's also the platform that we've used since we started. But more on them a little bit later on. Earlier this year, Bank of America's chief investment strategist, Michael Harnett, identified a handful of huge technology stocks in the US that he called the Magnificent Seven. They are Alphabet, aka Google, Amazon, Apple, Meta Platforms, aka Facebook, Microsoft, NVIDIA, and Tesla. These seven giants of the technology world make up a whopping 29% of the S&P 500. And to recap, the S&P 500 is a measure of the U.S. stock market and it is made up of 500 large and medium-sized U.S. companies. It is weighed by market capitalization, which means the bigger the company, the more of an impact it has on the overall index. And since the Magnificent Seven are all giant companies, with Apple and Microsoft both worth almost $3 trillion each, and Alphabet, Amazon, and NVIDIA all worth over $1 trillion, they have a pretty huge weighting in the index. They make up 29% of the S&P 500 meaning that the remaining 493 stocks make up 71%. As a result, the performance of these seven stocks has an outsized influence on the index, for good or for bad. But investors will be happy to learn that this year, the Magnificent Seven have truly been magnificent for investors and for the stock market. Have a guess at what the average return of these companies has been. Oh, uh, 50%, I don't know. Close. The average return of these magnificent seven stocks in 2023 has been a stellar 105%, with these figures being correct as of the 20th of November. And that's close to the 50%, huh? <laughs> well, I mean... Only twice as much. Fine, maybe I was being nice. So this means that if you invested in a basket of these seven stocks at the start of the year, putting £1,000 into each, then your £7,000 initial investment would now be worth just over £14,300. Not bad. Not bad at all. But yet even in the Magnificent Seven, not all stocks are created equal. Some have had insane returns, such as NVIDIA's 238% gain or Meta's 178% gain whereas others have been a bit more measured, such as Apple's lower, but still pretty incredible, 47% gain so far in 2023. So that was close to your guess. And these mega businesses have been driving the S&P 500 higher this year. Now, the S&P 500 has risen by around 17% so far in 2023, and the weighted contribution of the Magnificent Seven has been an impressive 25%, which is way over the average return of the S&P 500. So just how important have these giant companies been? As we mentioned, the companies in the S&P 500 index are weighted based on their size. The bigger a company is, the more its shares have an impact on the overall index. And the smaller a company is, the less of an impact its shares have. 
However, there are some equal weighted S&P 500 trackers out there, meaning that every company has the exact same weighting, which would be one over 500. Or like, how would you say that? 0.2% per company? Yeah, I guess you'd say that. (laughs) So how has this equal weighted index performed? In short, not very well. So far in 2023, an equal weighted S&P 500 index has returned just 3% way behind the S&P 500's return of 17%, and way, way, way behind the 105% returned by the Magnificent Seven. This paints a very clear picture. The broader uncertainties in the economy and interest rates increasing and fears of a recession have hurt smaller companies far more than these tech giants. And the gains of the S&P 500 and even global stock market funds such as the FTSE All World ETF have the Magnificent Seven to thank for the strong performance in 2023. So let's take a further look at why these so-called Magnificent Stocks have done so well in 2023, what our favourite ones are, and whether or not we think the future looks just as bright as the past year has been. All stocks that we've talked about in this podcast can be found on Trading212. The next 45 seconds are kindly sponsored by Trading212, but we have used their platform long before we had a partnership with them. Now, one of the reasons why we chose Trading212 for our stocks and shares ISAs is the wide range of investments available, from index funds and ETFs, including Vanguard ETFs, to stocks like the ones mentioned in this episode, there's something to suit most investing styles. This gives us the flexibility to diversify our portfolios, a strategy which can reduce risk when investing. But it's not only that. Trading212 also has some of the lowest fees in the industry, and the app is really easy to use. If you sign up to Trading212 using the referral link in the description and deposit at least the minimum amount required for investor ISA accounts, which at the time of recording is £1, you can get a mystery-free share worth up to £100. Terms and conditions apply. Now, the most natural question to ask about all of these impressive returns is, why? Why have the Magnificent Seven done so magnificently? The answer, I think, is the same answer that can explain a lot of great investments. The market had been overly negative about these companies at the start of the year for a number of reasons, and the market is now feeling very positively about them for a number of reasons. In fact, there's one very important detail that often gets overlooked when you hear people in the financial media talk about the Magnificent Seven these days. And believe me, a lot of people in the world of finance like to use this phrase. Have they been amazing this year? Yes, undeniably. But guess what? They had a far from magnificent 2022. The average return of a Magnificent Seven stock in 2022 was minus 46%. That's right, the shares of these companies had been absolutely smoked in 2022. A year that was terrible for the stock market, but even worse for the Magnificent Seven. Shares of Amazon, Meta, Nvidia and Tesla all got cut in half, or worse. By comparison, the S&P 500 fell by 19% in 2022, which is a bad year by any measure, but it was still a lot better than the 46% fall suffered by the Magnificent Seven. Yeah, and I think this just goes to show the benefits of investing in index funds. Fine, you might not get the same kind of high returns that you get investing in a handful of individual companies like the Magnificent Seven, but your portfolio won't go down by 50% in a year either, most probably. The good news is, since these are all pretty brilliant and strong businesses, it's unsurprising that they recovered so well. 
So this is part of the reason why the Magnificent Seven have had such strong returns in 2023. They were starting from a pretty low point. We said earlier that the average Magnificent Seven stock had more than doubled in 2023. And this is true. But what might be more surprising is that since the start of 2022, three of these stocks have actually underperformed the S&P 500. That may seem crazy given the really good returns, but here's the context. The S&P 500 has fallen by 5% since the start of 2022. Alphabet, aka Google, has fallen by 6%. And Amazon has fallen by 13%. But hear this. Tesla has fallen by a whopping 34%. So one of the reasons they've performed so well is because they were starting from a pretty low point. But the other reason these companies have succeeded is because they have everything needed to weather a difficult economic period. Namely, they have loads of cash. So while other businesses are coming under more pressure, these powerhouses can use their cash to invest and gain a greater lead over their smaller competitors. But then there's the other reason why companies can continue to thrive in tough economic times. Secular trends, which is a fun phrase. So in the world of investing, a secular trend refers to long-term changes in the economy or business climate. Basically, they are trends that are likely to continue growing in the future because of the direction that the world is heading in. Think things like cloud computing, semiconductor chips, artificial intelligence, electric vehicles, autonomous driving, e-commerce, digital advertising, and guess what? All of those secular trends that I've just mentioned will benefit the Magnificent Seven companies. In particular, Artificial intelligence has been the buzzword of 2023, and most companies in the Magnificent Seven are involved in AI one way or another, NVIDIA being the most obvious as it basically has the best chips for running artificial intelligence models, which is why demand for the company's products has boomed in 2023. But the rest of the Magnificent Seven are also trying to benefit from AI in different ways. And then there's also the fact that the likes of Meta, aka Facebook, and Amazon have shown the stock market that they can be very profitable if they want to be, which has really helped their share prices after a pretty awful 2022. I feel like out of the Magnificent Seven, Apple is probably the only one that hasn't mentioned AI that much. Yeah, I think you're right. I think I could probably tell you something that all of the other companies are doing in relation to artificial intelligence. So obviously NVIDIA makes chips. Microsoft holds a huge stake in OpenAI, and I mean, I'm not going to open that can of worms because that's all blown up a bit recently. But, you know, they, they have access to all these very smart AI models. Google as well has always been investing in artificial intelligence, and they have a ton of data to build models. Yeah, and they have recently come up with an alternative to ChatGPT, albeit not as good, <laughs> I think, from the reviews. But, you know, they are trying. And Google actually have their self-driving cars, right? I mean, they invest in a startup called Waymo that specializes in self-driving cars. Which segues nicely to Tesla, who use artificial intelligence to help with their self-driving cars. And then you've got Meta, aka Facebook, who are building their own artificial intelligence learning models. And that just leaves Apple, right? Oh, wait, no, there's Amazon as well. And Amazon, which owns AWS, and again, AWS is a cloud computing business that is also trying to invest in artificial intelligence. And I think Amazon is also trying to build a manufacturer or produce or create its own chips as well to help with running artificial intelligence programs. So off the top of my head, I can name something that every company is doing with AI apart from Apple. 
Unless AI means adding an extra camera. Yeah. Or, I don't know, maybe finally improving theory a little bit. I swear, since the introduction of theory, when, I don't know when that was, maybe 10 years ago, I feel like it stayed pretty much the same. Hey, Siri. Mm-hmm. How intelligent are you? Well, say, say it out loud. It's just come up with my phone saying there's nothing to read. So, yeah, I guess, I guess that says it all. Point made. <laughs> anyway, Apple is Apple, you know. I think a lot of people regard Apple as the greatest company to have ever existed. Yeah, but I guess if 2023 has been the year of artificial intelligence, or at least that's what's been sending stocks higher, then it's understandable to see why Apple is actually lagging the rest of the Magnificent Seven, despite being a magnificent business. Yeah, plus the outlook is not all rosy for the iPhone, is it? Which is their main revenue driver. I know, I remember reading a report that looks at um, trends among Gen Z, I think, in the US. I think it does it every half year. I think it's a Piper Sandler teen survey, something like that. I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was somewhere in the high 80% of teens that said that they owned an iPhone and said that their next phone will be an iPhone. So I think it's very promising for Apple that they still have an incredible brand amongst you know, teenagers. Yeah, and I think the iPhone is either the most popular smartphone in the world or the most profitable, probably both. <laughs> but I think they've had a bunch of regulatory issues in China as well that has impacted sales of iPhones. The biggest thing with Apple as an investment for me is just that it's quite expensive in terms of valuation. So I probably should have checked these numbers beforehand. I'm just going off the top of my head. So don't, don't trust me 100% on this. But I'm pretty sure it has a price to earnings ratio of like 30 or 35. So the price to earnings ratio, it basically just tells you how many dollars an investor is willing to pay for a share of a company based on how many dollars of profit it generates. So for example, if Apple has a price to earnings ratio of 30, that means that investors are willing to pay $30 per share for every $1 of profit that Apple generates. Now, the average price to earnings ratio of the S&P 500 is generally somewhere around 20. Sometimes it's a bit more. Historically, it's been a bit less. So Apple is given a higher PE ratio than you know, the average of the index. And that can make sense because it's a brilliant company. But normally, the only reason that that happens is because the company is growing by a higher amount than the average. And Apple isn't really growing at the minute. Its revenues, I think, have been falling year over year for the last few quarters. So you could argue that it doesn't merit such a high valuation. But then on the other hand, Apple's a brilliant business. And even if its hardware sales might struggle a little bit more with high interest rates and, you know, financing plans being less affordable, it is making a lot of money from services. That's continuing to grow at a pretty healthy rate. That's higher margin. And that could end up resulting in more profitability. So I feel like I've just answered my own concern. <laughs> Yes, I was, I was just about to say that, but you've just had a debate with yourself, so I don't have to do that. Does this mean I'm getting paid double for the podcast? You're hardly getting paid, let's be honest. That reminds me, we should really buy that heater for our shed. Oh yeah, we're currently sat shivering in our shed. That's soundproofed, at least. We have uh, moving blankets up on all the walls, but it's so cold. Yeah, so just as a background, we cannot film it in our house because it's very echoey. So we have managed to somewhat soundproof our shed. But on, a, on the flip side, it's very, very cold in here. We should buy an electric heater, but we always forget. 
I'm actually wearing a full-on puffer jacket and a hat, like a woolly hat. And I wish I was wearing gloves as well, if I'm honest. Uh, See, we're suffering for the podcast. Also, can we go back to Google? Like how it's underperformed the S&P 500 since the start of 2022. Why is the market being so harsh on Google? Do you think this underperformance stems mostly from the fact that it was down about 9% after their latest quarterly results? I mean, it certainly didn't help when their shares dropped. And that was such an overreaction, I thought. I mean, clearly, if you if you listen to the episode where we said what we invested in November, I did say that I bought a little bit of Google after the market had reacted so badly to their latest quarterly results, because I thought it's a bit of an overreaction. But, you know, I could very well be wrong. <laughs> well, I mean, that gives us quite a nice segue into the next part of the podcast, because we've just spoken about why these companies have done so well in 2023. They started from a low base. They have the strength to weather an economic storm. They are involved in secular trends that should benefit them for years to come. And they have been benefiting from the boom in AI, much to the delight of investors. But, as you were just saying, we have not been immune from Magnificent 7 fever, and we also own some of these stocks. I own Amazon, Google, and Tesla, and Andrea owns Google and Tesla. However, because about 70% of her portfolio is in globally diversified index funds, she actually owns much more because the Magnificent 7 make up a decent chunk of these index funds as well. Yes, I'm pretty sure the index fund that I invest in the Vanguard FTSE All World ETF, even though it's a globally diversified fund because the US makes up about 60% of the value of the world stock market, the top 10 of the Vanguard FTSE All World ETF is pretty much the same as the top 10 of the S&P 500. Obviously, the weightings are a bit different because there's more companies in the global fund. But yeah, I very much own Apple and NVIDIA and all of the other Magnificent Seven through that fund. So what do we think about these stocks right now? Well, let's play a little game. And I call it a game because you should treat this as us playing a game. You should definitely not take this as financial advice. We can play a little game that I'm sure I've heard on the Motley Fool podcast called Buy, Hold or Sell. And basically... We will go through all the Magnificent Seven stocks and we'll decide whether or not we would buy it, hold it or sell it. What should we start with? Should we start with Apple? Yeah, Apple seems like a good place to start. All right. I would personally hold it. Me too. I wouldn't sell Apple because, you know, it's Apple. It's a really big company. It's reliable. And as you said, there's a growth opportunity there with the focus on the services side of their business. But at the minute, their bread and butter, you know, the hardware, the iPhone, those sales are not doing as well. So I, I don't know. And they are quite expensive in terms of their P ratio as well, which is a popular valuation metric, as you explained. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if I was an investor in Apple, I wouldn't actually be too concerned about the slowdown in hardware sales just because their hardware is expensive, which means that most people have to get on finance. And because interest rates are so high, the cost of borrowing money to buy things like iPhones and MacBooks and all of that has got more expensive. So it's not a surprise that the sales have dropped. But it is, as you say, the valuation of the company that would put me off calling it a buy. However, 
it could very well be the case that hardware sales are a bit depressed right now and they might shoot up next year or when the economy starts to recover and the higher margin services business may continue to grow and grow even faster than hardware sales and both of these things could boost Apple's profit by quite a bit over the coming years in which case a PE ratio of 30 or 35 whatever Apple is right now would actually seem pretty reasonable so yeah I definitely wouldn't sell Apple but I've just never been confident enough to buy it so it's a hold for me as well what we got next let's go through all the a's first awesome (laughs) okay let's go to amazon next now am i going to be biased because amazon is one of the magnificent seven stocks i hold in my portfolio maybe but for me i'm gonna say that amazon is a buy yeah i mean that doesn't surprise me you literally bought it i mean did you buy some last month no no but you bought it pretty. You bought some more of it pretty recently. I thought maybe. I don't think so. To be fair. Okay. Or maybe you just talked about it on one of these podcasts as one of your kind of favorite stocks or like highlights or something like that. Possibly the last time I bought any shares in Amazon was actually in April 2023. Oh, okay, so more than six months ago. Yeah, exactly. I've bought all my shares in Amazon between October 2022 and April 2023, which has worked out quite well. My investment in Amazon is currently up 36%. But clearly, I'm still fairly happy with the price and the prospects. Now, don't get me wrong, the best time to buy them was probably, you know, October and November and December when shares had been, you know, demolished a bit unfairly in my view. But I still like Amazon right now. But what, what do you think? Well, you know how you were saying about Apple's P.E. ratio? Oh, don't start with P.E. ratios with Amazon. It's different. Why is it different? So I'm guessing that you have Amazon's P.E. ratio in front of you. I do. So you know how you were saying that a P.E. ratio of 30 is quite expensive for Apple? Well, guess what Amazon's current P.E. ratio is? The one based on the last 12 months of earnings. I'm going to guess 75 Wow, that was actually very good. 76, yes. Oh, seriously? (laughs) Yeah. I thought that you probably just looked at it this morning or something. No. Oh, I'm an on-the-ball investor. Well, actually, I'm going to check Apple as well, just to make sure that we were right. So according to Yahoo Finance, yes, Apple's B ratio based on the last 12 months of earnings is 31. Not bad. I got all these numbers in my brain somewhere. I don't know where they're coming from, but they're just there. Hours of scrolling through Twitter. Yeah, don't say that. Fine, but yeah, okay. Amazon, PE ratio of 76. And I'm saying that Amazon looks attractive, but Apple not so much. And I understand why that might not sound like it makes sense. And wait, let me guess what you're going to say. You're going to say AWS. No, it's growing really well. It's a very high margin business. Blah, blah, blah. No. No? But that probably would have been what I said about 12 months ago. But things have got a little bit different. And actually, since you were talking about its performance, you've done pretty well since April 2023 when you bought it. You're probably up around 30% or so. But Amazon is actually up just under 74% this year. So maybe that, that was the best time to buy it because in the last year, so from November last year to now, it's up by 55%. So I started buying Amazon shares in October 2022 and kind of bought them at various intervals between then and April 2023. Yeah, I mean, you know what? Surprisingly, I would rate Amazon a buy as well. That does surprise me because I never thought you were that keen on the company. 
I think for the average investor, not necessarily for me, like I I am rating it a buy, but I'm not going to go out and buy it right now because, well, firstly, I'm not interested in adding more individual stocks to my portfolio to keep track of. And second, I don't know, maybe a bit for ethical reasons as well. It's, It's a very difficult and nuanced conversation to have because I'm sure a lot of other companies that I own have experienced some controversy about their business practices. I mean, I think any company has, to be honest. And I encourage people to look into the companies that they invest and see if they can live with what they found out about them. But I don't know. It's just one of those for me that I just don't like the retail business that much. No, I I understand that. Although you are perfectly happy to buy from them every other day. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those people. It's one of those things, as I said. No, I, I, I know what you mean. And that's why we like to invest in individual stocks, because that way we can just look at a company and be like, yeah, are we happy that this aligns enough to our values that you know this contributes to our best vision for the future? You know, I, I really like the offering for customers that Amazon has. But yeah, I'm not ignoring some of the issues that it's certainly had in the past and probably still has nowadays. I just realized I didn't actually explain the valuation. So why I said that I'm happy to buy Amazon at like a PE ratio of 70, but Apple was too expensive at a PE ratio of 30 or 35. So the main reason is because I think Apple is currently optimized for profitability. You know, its goal as a business is not necessarily focused on growth. It's focused on generating as much for profit as possible. It's still trying to grow, but it has a real heavy focus on profitability. Whereas Amazon, especially over the last few years, has really not been focusing on profitability as much as it has been investing a ton of money into expanding its retail business, its e-commerce business, and still growing as much as possible because there's a huge opportunity. So for that reason, I think that Amazon's profit margins going forward will be much higher than they are right now. So I think with a company like Amazon, it's just going for growth and growth and growth as much as possible. But I think that when it decides to focus more on generating as much of a profit as possible, its bottom line profit will shoot up at a much faster rate than its revenue is growing. And that means its price to earnings ratio will shoot way down. But yeah, I guess in in simplest terms, the reason that I'm happy to pay a higher price to earnings ratio for Amazon is because I think its earnings, you know, its bottom line profit will grow at a much quicker rate in the future than Apple's. Okay, what's next on the list? Is it Alphabet, aka Google? Yes. Well, obviously, I rated a buy <laughs> since I actually bought some of it last month. And funnily enough, I mean, this is one that we both own. And I would also rate it a buy because I actually opened my position in Google last month. Again, as you mentioned, because shares kind of got whacked a bit after its results. But, you know, Google is a company I've been interested in for a long time. It's got a lot of things going for it. It's got YouTube. It's got more data than anyone can ever dream of. And it's got Google Cloud. It's got its Google Search, where it's basically a monopoly. Like, there's a lot going for this company. And it just doesn't get the same amount of love as others, I I feel. I mean, yeah, YouTube is basically bigger than Netflix, I think, or about the same size, which is crazy. And Netflix is a whole company, whereas YouTube is just a subsidiary of Google. Well, Alphabet. And unlike Netflix, they don't have to spend billions and billions of dollars on content. 
because all the content is user generated and find they have their partner program where they share a percentage of the ad revenue with the creators. But I mean, that's variable and that's based on how well the video is doing. So clearly they're benefiting the most, not the creators really. Or it's a win-win situation. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the only issue with Google is that it relies heavily on advertising, which means that it could be hit in difficult economic times. You know, it relies on getting money from advertisers for YouTube. It relies on getting money for advertisers, for people who want to boost their website on Google search. However, this is why Google Cloud, which is becoming a larger and larger and more important part of the business, is so important to watch. And I think so important for Google's success in the next five, 10 years. Look, I think most of the Magnificent Seven are or have cyclical businesses, really. True. Amazon does. So cyclical in the sense that when the economy does well and consumers and businesses have more money to spend, they will spend more on these companies' products and services. And when the economy is not doing so well and people and businesses are strapped for cash, then they will buy fewer of their products and services. And I think you can make that case for everyone. I mean, we already said that for Apple, even for Amazon, for the retail side of the business, at least. For Meta, which is basically Facebook, which is also digital advertising, that's how they make all their money. I think if I'm honest, Microsoft, well, and probably NVIDIA, are the most robust from that point of view, because Microsoft primarily sells to other businesses, right? Microsoft, yes. NVIDIA, maybe not, just because semiconductors is also quite a cyclical business. However, the argument has been that because it is a secular trend, the world needs more and more chips. Then some people are saying, oh, it's, it's not cyclical anymore. Although I'm pretty sure I read somewhere that when people start to say that a cyclical industry is no longer a cyclical industry, it means you're at the top of the cycle. Yeah, I guess for me, my rationale with NVIDIA was because they have such high demand for their chips and they're so kind of specialized and needed for that particular type of computing that people don't really have that many alternatives or businesses don't have that many alternatives to NVIDIA chips. No, NVIDIA are in a league of their own when it comes to making chips to run artificial intelligence. And I guess maybe this should be a good segue to saying NVIDIA, buy, hold or sell. You know what? I would say hold just because of the truly magnificent run that it's had in 2023. I would be scared to buy it right now after what a 200% surge in their share price this year. And look, I know their results have been spectacular. And actually, just later today, they're going to report results for their second quarter. I can't remember what quarter it is. I think they have a slightly funny calendar. But yeah, we're recording this on Tuesday. NVIDIA will report Tuesday evening, and obviously this podcast will come out on Wednesday. So yeah, whatever we say here for buy, hold, and sell, it'll be interesting to see how NVIDIA does with its results and whether or not our uh, ratings seem to have made sense. And I will probably give it a hold as well, but I am very on the fence between a hold and a buy, which is funny because I've become more focused on valuation these days. And yeah, as you say, shares have had an incredible run up at like 230, 240% so far this year. But I'm not as concerned with valuation as you might be if you just looked at that in isolation because the company has been like growing its revenues by over 100%. It's like 130, 140% in some quarters, I think, which is insane. It's, it's kind of unheard of for a company that size to be growing so quickly. Which is why, 
you know, fine, its shares have been skyrocketing, but it's had the business performance to back it up. The only thing I would be scared about is whether or not, you know, clearly there's a bit of a bottleneck in demand for chips that can be used for AI. And if that stops, because right now NVIDIA just has everything and everyone will pay whatever they want. I'm just like, how long will this continue? I feel like it has to stop at some point. But is that going to be in six months? Or is it going to be in six years? Or is it going to be in 60 years? Yeah, and it's also because of this, because NVIDIA is the only supplier of these very specialized chips, it kind of bears the question, will all these companies start producing their chips in-house maybe so they don't have to depend on a third party? I think they are trying to, like Google and Amazon and maybe Apple and maybe Microsoft. They're all creating their own chips of sorts. However, I think they still need NVIDIA chips. I mean, Tesla as well. I'm pretty sure they said on their latest earnings call just how many NVIDIA chips they are having to order. And and Tesla is a company that famously loves to try and do everything it can in-house. So if they're saying that they basically are ordering as many NVIDIA chips as possible, that just shows what a strong position NVIDIA is in within the industry. Yeah, but at the same time, that is right now. If I were one of these technology giants like Tesla or Microsoft or, you know, Apple, I wouldn't want to have such a high reliance on a third party. So, you know, you you mentioned yourself that they're trying to develop their own chips in-house, probably more cheaply as well. Would this dampen demand of NVIDIA chips? Maybe not in a year, maybe not in two, but what about in five or 10 years time? What will happen then? You know, it's just it's just a question. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's probably the only reason I don't own NVIDIA shares. And it's because I don't know the industry well enough and I don't know the technology well enough to have an answer to that. I don't know how easily NVIDIA can be displaced because I don't understand the technology well enough. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm saying this thing, but that's not the primary reason why I wouldn't buy NVIDIA right now. And I've rated it a hold. The primary reason is because, as you said, if everyone is talking about AI and chips it's probably not the right time to buy. For me, the primary reason is that I don't feel confident enough understand the industry to know how sustainable NVIDIA's competitive advantage is. It's like technological advantage. I'm not actually as concerned about the valuation on this one because seeing a company grow its revenue by 120, 130% is just mind-blowing. And I'm not saying valuation goes out the window, but it becomes incredibly hard. So instead, you kind of have to put faith in whether or not the company can deliver. I think they have a brilliant CEO. And clearly, the company is delivering fantastically. But I'm just not confident enough in my knowledge of the industry to you know, say, yes, I think NVIDIA will keep this lead for a long time, which it very much might do. Yeah, so I think it's one of those, obviously, we both rated NVIDIA as a whole, but I can definitely understand the argument for buying it and the argument for selling it. So yeah, it's just one of those, I guess. Well, speaking of stocks of split opinion, why don't we move on to the other Magnificent 7 stock aside from Google that we both own, and that is Tesla. And this is one that always causes some debate and stress in our own heads. So time to do that again. Tesla, would you give it a buy, a hold or a sell? Well, it's funny you should mention that because we were talking about Tesla just this morning on our walk when I mentioned that I'm thinking about selling some of my Tesla holding. And that is mainly because of its CEO, Elon Musk, if I'm honest. 
I think it's just become a bit of a risk to the company's brand and reputation. And that was probably the biggest reason why I invested in Tesla in the first place. As in its brand and reputation? Yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I know what you mean. Also, Tesla has always been a much larger part of your portfolio than it is mine. Like, it's always been one of your top holdings for individual stocks. It took quite a hit after its latest results. But even now, it went from being like my second largest individual holding or so to being the fifth largest, um, which is still quite a bit. <laughs> and I'm just not comfortable with holding that much of Tesla right now. Obviously, it would still be part of my portfolio, so I won't sell all of it. But I'm just going to trim that position because it's one of those that the risk that Elon Musk poses to Tesla's brand is one of those things that doesn't really let me sleep at night or not that or that makes me quite worried about the company's future. So, yeah, it's just to kind of help me sleep better at night. So what are you rating it? Well, I already said it. Uh, I'm rating it a sell, but I feel like it's a bit. It's a bit of a strong <laughs> word, isn't it? Because I'm not selling my entire position. I feel like sell implies that you're selling your entire position. I'm just trimming it. So maybe like a hold towards sell. I don't know. See, that's exactly where I am. Where I said that NVIDIA is probably a hold kind of closer towards a buy. For me right now, Tesla is a hold, but closer towards a sell. I think the biggest concern for me, it, it also revolves around Musk, but it's kind of combined with a fear of its price cuts. So Tesla has been cutting prices left, right, and center. Unfortunately, mainly in the US, because I would love to own a Tesla, and they're not cutting prices here. So uh, Elon, if you're listening, do, do something about the prices in the UK, please. And, and don't get too upset about this. So my biggest fear, Tesla's been cutting prices. And this could be because it's a difficult economic environment, which it is. Interest rates are rising, which they are, and that makes buying a car like a brand new car on finance way more expensive. You know how we were talking about cyclical businesses? Car manufacturing is one of the most cyclical businesses out there. Exactly. So Tesla are cutting prices like they're really cutting them and their margins are falling and even their cut prices aren't boosting sales, which again could well be normal because it's a cyclical business and you know, we're kind of in the down part of the cycle for cars. But then there is my other fear, which is that Elon Musk has damaged the Tesla brand. Because we watch a couple of like late night comedy shows in the US. And I mean, th those shows are definitely more left leaning without getting too much into politics. And Musk has been a bit more to the right side of the political spectrum lately. So I think it makes sense that those shows won't be, wouldn't be as complimentary of him. But, you know. Oh yeah, un undeniably. But in the last month, I've seen two of those shows actively say quite negative things about him and the implication to people that drive Teslas. And yeah, as you say, those shows are definitely more left-wing. Musk has definitely gone more right-wing. So it does make sense. But they didn't really take the mick out of him to this extent a while back. And the problem is that Musk is so intertwined with the Tesla brand that my fear is that these price cuts might not just be due to the macroeconomic conditions, but they might be due to brand damage for Tesla. So if a company has a strong brand, it means they can charge premium prices. And this is part of the reason that Tesla was able to do that. However, if their brand is being damaged, then they might have to drop prices in order to sell more cars. Again, the difficult thing is that I don't know what's happening. 
I don't know if Musk is actually causing loads of damage to Tesla's brand, meaning they have to drop prices, or if it's just because of where we are in the economic cycle. I have no idea, and that stresses me out. <laughs> so yeah, whilst I do love everything that Tesla is trying to do, and you know, we spoke in our last episode on ethical investing about making your portfolio reflect your best vision for the future. Yeah, in my head, a future where everyone is driving Teslas rather than petrol and diesel cars. I mean, that, that sounds pretty good to me. So that is why I'm, I'm sticking with the company for now. I'm hoping that, yeah, Musk stops with the controversies, but that is more a hope than something that I expect to happen. And we'll wait and see. So yeah, it, it's definitely a hold for me right now, closer to a sell than it is a buy. All right, moving on to Microsoft. Yeah, I feel like these next two will be a little bit quicker because they're companies that I would say we know a little bit less about from an investing point of view. I don't think we've ever looked into them as potential investments. And Microsoft is certainly up there. I mean, Microsoft is a brilliant business. And I think their CEO, Satya Nadella, is also brilliant. Like the job that he's managed to do since he became CEO of Microsoft is, is nothing short of outstanding. So I definitely wouldn't bet against Microsoft. For me, Microsoft is a hold but much closer to a buy. The only reason that I can't really call it a buy is because I don't know enough about the business. I haven't looked enough into it to completely understand it. But obviously, Microsoft has its whole suite of Office products. It has its own cloud computing offering in Microsoft Azure. It's a big player in the gaming world with its Xbox and its recent acquisition of Activision Blizzard. Microsoft is just an incredibly well-diversified company, and it just seems to be firing all cylinders. And then all the drama with OpenAI, it's not great, but it could maybe result in Microsoft basically acquiring the entire OpenAI team for free and supercharging their efforts in their development of AI, which could be a competitive advantage for decades to come. So yeah, lots going for this company. I just don't know it well enough to give it a buy. So I'm going to give it a hold that is very close to a buy. I mean, yeah, Microsoft is one of those companies that is so established that you wouldn't think they would be growing fast anymore or, you know, growing even. Yeah, you think that it would be in the same league as IBM or Intel or something like that, you know? Yeah, it feels like a comparatively old company, even when you compare it to the likes of Apple. Yeah, when you think about it, but then they still manage to grow quite a lot. I mean, if I look on Yahoo Finance at Microsoft's revenue growth from 2021 to 2022, it grew by about 17% or 18, just under 18%, which is crazy for a company that's, what, 50 years old? And they show no signs of stopping. Obviously, their Microsoft like productivity suite is doing well. Their Microsoft Azure, their cloud service still has really good growth, even though it's probably the second most used cloud provider after Amazon's AWS. And their investment in OpenAI means that they have a really good proposition in an exciting emerging technology such as artificial intelligence. So what are you rating it? I mean, I feel like I've just convinced myself there to rate it a buy, if I'm honest. Fair enough. PE ratio is what, 36, I think, which is, you know, if a company is continuing to grow revenue at a double digit percentage rate, and if it can improve margins, I mean, that, that doesn't seem crazy without doing any further deep dive. Um, obviously, it might seem crazy, but we've not gone into it that much. Hey, this part's just for fun. But yeah, that, that seems fair enough. Yeah, I mean, management is good. 
still growing. It's not super overvalued. It's a bit of a cash cow. I mean, what's not to like? I'm saying all of this. I'm not actually going to buy it because, as I said, I don't want to add another individual stock to my portfolio to keep track of. And, you know, it would it would just take a bit too much time. Okay, and that brings us on to our final stock of the Magnificent Seven, and that is Meta Platforms, aka Facebook. Now, I'm shivering. My toes are really cold. So let's make this one quick. What are you saying? Buy, sell or hold? Probably hold. I'm going to be honest, I'm not interested in meta in the slightest. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. For me, it's another hold, but closer to a sell. Really? Yeah, I think so. I wouldn't go as far. I think I'm as neutral as it gets on meta. I'm just very much indifferent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it's got some great platforms. There's no, there's no doubt in that. And to be honest, WhatsApp has a lot of potential for it to grow. I think the WhatsApp we have here in the UK is very basic compared to what it can do in some other places around the world. Yeah, I think in places like India, people use WhatsApp for payments as well, which is really interesting. I think in South America as well, they're doing quite a bit with it. So, okay, Facebook is a hold for both of us. So just to wrap it up before my toes fall off. (laughs) God, (laughs) please remember to give us a five-star rating (laughs) for the sacrifices we make here. So that we can buy a heater. (laughs) Yeah. So that I can put on two layers of socks. So the one final question I'm going to ask, what is your favorite Magnificent 7 stock and your least favorite Magnificent 7 stock? Well, easy for the least favorite, Meta. And for my favorite, well, (laughs) it's an interesting one because I think now I would put Microsoft, but obviously I don't own Microsoft, I own Google. But I would say Microsoft, but I already said why I'm not going to add Microsoft to my portfolio. It's fine, because I could tell that you're going to say Microsoft then, despite it being one of the four that you don't own. Maybe it makes you wonder if you should remove one or two stocks from your portfolio and add Microsoft in there. Who knows? Maybe that's something that will uh, be revealed in a later episode if you decide to. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense based on this, but obviously I would have to look more into it. Exactly. I think our episode, not next week, but the week after, we're going to do the stocks that we bought in December. So... Listen out for that one. And in fact, I'm going to be very curious to see if anything happens. Yeah, I mean, don't hold your breath. (laughs) Okay, I I don't know. We'll see. So I think for me, again, least favorite, I'm with you, is it's Meta. You know, I can't really put Tesla because I own Tesla and I think the business itself and what it hopes to achieve could be brilliant. Whereas Meta, I'm just like, eh, you know, social media and dodgy stuff, like, cool. And my favorite one is probably... Amazon, which am I biased because it's been a decent investment so far? Maybe, but I do just think that its offering to consumers in its retail division is unmatched. And I think it's built out a fulfillment network that is not going to be beaten. So I think it is going to stay the leader for decades. It's also the largest cloud computing provider, which again, I think it will remain the leader for a very long time. And as that business continues to grow, as it is a nice secular growth trend, it should just help boost Amazon's profits more and more in the future. Same with its e-commerce business. As that gets bigger and bigger, it'll get more and more profitable. So yeah, that, that's why Amazon is my favorite. Oh, actually, that made me think of another reason why I think Microsoft is great. I think it has the least amount of controversy, if I'm honest. 
Well, if you don't count, obviously, the competition authority in the US and the UK and the EU, they had been investigating their proposed acquisition of Activision Blizzard. But that's more of a usual process, I guess, when a big acquisition is made. So I think, yeah, it's relatively uncontroversial, which is nice. We love an unproblematic queen. So there you have it. This is a quick intro into the Magnificent Seven, who they are, how they performed this year, and what we think about them. We really hope that you found this episode helpful. If you did, take a screenshot of the podcast and share it to your Instagram story and tag us at Stocks and Savings. And please give this episode a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Since we are a smaller podcast, these two things would really help us to reach more people, gain credibility, and hopefully dedicate even more resources to bring you a podcast that will help you save, invest, and build wealth while enjoying life. Plus buy ourselves a heater. Thanks again to our season sponsor, Train212, and remember to check out the referral link in the description and get your mystery free share worth up to £100. Keep in mind the terms and conditions apply to the offer. We hope you enjoyed this episode and we can't wait for you to join us again next week. Until next time, bye-bye.